Welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast. If you love tennis and want to improve your game, this podcast is for you. Whether it's technique, strategy, equipment, or the mental game, tennis professional Ian Westerman is here to make you a better player. And now, here's Ian. Welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Today's episode of the Essential Tennis Podcast is brought to you by TennisTours.com, where you can get a discount off your next purchase of professional tennis tournament tickets by using the promotional code ESSENTIAL. Thank you very much for joining me today on the podcast. I really appreciate the fact that you downloaded this show and you're taking the time to listen to it. I, I've, I've always dedicated this show to passionate tennis players, and if that describes you, then you've come to the right place. Every week I put out a half an hour show released on Mondays that answers questions from really enthusiastic recreational players just like yourself, and my goal is always to put out the best possible solid fundamental instruction so that you guys can take that advice, go and apply it to your own game, and improve your tennis. And every week that happens all around the world as people listen to this show and then go and apply the the simple suggestions that I give you guys. Never anything fancy or complicated here. It's uh, things that all of us can get better at and as a result improve uh, improve our games, myself included. Uh, real quickly before we get to today's topics from my listeners, I want to let you guys know about another great tennis podcast that you guys can get on iTunes. It's one of the most popular tennis podcasts on iTunes, and it is created and produced by the people over at Tennis.com, the, uh, the, sa- the same people that do Tennis Magazine. And the it's basically a roundtable discussion uh, and it's, it's uh, the discussion is led by the editors and and writers over at Tennis Magazine and Tennis.com, and it's all about tour news. So if if you really like following professional men's and women's women's tennis, definitely head over to iTunes. Just type in tennis, and you'll see the Tennis.com podcast. Definitely suggest that you check it out. All right, let's get down to business. Sit back, relax, and get ready for some great tennis instruction. All right, let's go ahead and get to our first question on today's show. And it comes to us from Zach in Cincinnati, who has listed himself as a 4.0 player. And uh, his question is a little bit lengthy here, but uh, bear with me, guys, as I read through it. It's a really good question and a question having to do with competing against a game style that most recreational players really struggle against. You guys will start to recognize this right away. And I, I think the advice that I give today is going to be definitely helpful for, helpful for most of you guys out there who compete on a regular level, anywhere between a, a, a 2.5 and a 3.5 level, and probably most of you 4.0 players out there as well. So Zach wrote to me and said, I play weekly with an older player, about 65. In his prime, he won many local tournaments in the 3.5 level. Because I am not a member at a club or part of a league, I am subjected to playing a lot of different players who are scattered along the lines of ranking. 
He is among the lowest level players I play, yet I seem to play worst against him. Most of it is due to the fact that he hits junk balls, mostly with little to no pace and very little spin or angles. I have to rely on myself to generate my own pace on each and every shot. He has never, quote unquote, beaten me, but rather I beat myself. I do not want to resort to just hitting his balls back with nothing on them because that would be no fun for me and also set my game back. This experience is very frustrating because I seem to play like a 3.0 player when facing him, yet if I face a 5.5 or 6.0 player, I seem to play much, much better, almost feeling like a 4.5 player. Because they use pace and spin, and spin, it kicks the ball up into my strike zone, and I can use their pace and add a little of my own for my own shots. What are some ways to help generate my own pace and spin on a ball with absolutely nothing to work with? This problem is extremely exaggerated on my forehand side. I wrote an email to Zach to get some clarification and uh, just one follow-up comment from him. He said, my problem with this particular player, or at least on most days, is that my game doesn't seem to click at all. It's really not a question of keeping my shots in consistently, but keeping them in at all. It's really hard to describe this problem because, for instance, today I didn't get mad or upset. I I was just simply lost out there. Nothing is more demoralizing than just seeing any shot you try to hit with pace go straight into the net or out long. Maybe he just has my number and I have to accept that, but I refuse to quit. Zach. Well, Zach, there's so many people uh, all over the place, all, all over the world listening to this right now that are nodding their heads in agreement with you and they, they totally understand where you're coming from. Now, I, I've done a podcast on dealing with pushers already and that's that's kind of the uh you know uh the 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 phrase or the the word that we use to to classify these types of players players that don't really do anything with their shots besides just get them in play with with without a whole lot on them nothing really special but they don't really miss a lot and that's something that most recreational players really struggle with so first of all, I, I want you to realize that you're you're not alone here. So so don't get too frustrated with this. I, I understand it's uh, it, it definitely sucks. <laughs> all right, I, I totally understand that this is hard to to to, uh, to deal with. But this is the most difficult type of opponent for 99% of players out there that are 4.0 and under. And the reason for that, I, I wrote down four reasons here why this is so difficult for recreational players to deal with. First of all, the type of person that you're talking about playing here is usually somebody who's very experienced. It's a player who's been around for a long time. They're, they're very smart. They know how to figure out what really bugs you. And they, you know, they've just been around the block a couple of times. They're, they're usually more experienced than the types of players that struggle playing against them. Secondly, they're usually very crafty. <laughs> They're very aware of your weakness when you play them. Uh, they they have a have a way of kind of picking out exactly what annoys you, and this type of player typically will kind of mix things up and not give you any pace to work with, but will give you a lot of different looks usually. Now, this player that you're describing, Zach, you you said that 
this person doesn't put a lot of spin on the ball, uh, doesn't use many angles. Uh, you made it sound like this guy basically just hits right down the middle of the court, soft and easy. <laughs> and I'm going to get to that a little bit later. But uh, typically, this type of player is somebody um, who will put junk on the ball. And you use the the term junk baller, I think, here. Yeah, you said um, uh, he hits junk balls with little or no pace. Um, I, I might reconsider your use of that term. Junk baller typically refers to a player who puts a lot of spin on the ball and a lot, lots of different types of spin to kind of throw their opponents off. I wouldn't call this player that you're describing a junk baller. Um, I would call them a counter puncher or a pusher. I would not call this person a junk baller if he puts no, you said he puts a very little spin on the ball. Um, this is somebody who's just a smart player and very consistent. That brings me to number three, consistency. Uh, number one, this person's experienced. Number two, he's crafty. Number three, these types of players are always consistent. Um, and very often it's not pretty. They don't have nice looking strokes, uh, these types of players, uh, but they can typically make just about everything that you hit in their vicinity. And the person that you're describing, Zach, is no spring chicken anymore. Not that he still can't play the game. Well, obviously he's still com- competing. And I-, I hope that when I'm his age, I'm still able to, to run around and play. I-, I think it's awesome that he's still playing. Um, however, his-, his number one weapon is his consistency. He probably doesn't move around the court as well as he used to, but anything that he does get to, he probably misses very very rarely doesn't make very many unforced errors uh, you and that's really what makes this person difficult you have to force him to make a mistake and that's very difficult for most players around your level to do consistently without making a lot of errors so that's number 3 this this person's consistent and number 4 and I, I think this is what really bugs uh, recreational players the most about this type of player. Uh, number four, I have written down that this type of player is usually shameless. They, you know what? They could care less if you respect them or not. Uh, they don't care if you walk off the court and complain about them and say, oh man, he's just a pusher. He, he doesn't really have any real shots. He just, you know, he hits weak balls down the middle every time. You know what? This type of player doesn't care. Otherwise, he probably wouldn't be playing. This this guy's just out there to compete. He's out there to win, and that's it. He's out there to enjoy himself and probably loves driving people crazy. And he, he doesn't care what people say about him. He just loves to be out there, and he loves to, to play, and he loves to win. And so that combination, somebody who's experienced, crafty, consistent, and shameless, he doesn't care how he does it, uh, but he keeps the ball in play one way or another. This is this is the type of player that everybody struggles with. Uh, again, I, I wrote down 4.0 and under is definitely the main level of player that has a hard time with with this type of style. Um, but but lots of different players do even above a 4.0 level. Now I've got two two main ways that you can deal with this, Zach, uh, or things I'm going to tell you that hopefully are going to help you out. Number one, and I talked about this in the Pusher podcast, which is in the archives. By the way, I, I definitely suggest that you and everybody else listening who hates playing this type of player not only listen to, to this show, but go to the archives at EssentialTennis.com and download the Pusher podcast also. But number one, you must respect this player. It's not an option. 
respect this player for what he's good at, for what he's accomplished over his career as a tennis player. Um, don't put them down in your head about, uh, or him in your head about his age, about his tactics, about his, about his style of play, whatever. If you start to let that get in your head, it will throw you off. It will put you in a negative mood and your outlook on the match will just get worse and worse. And you just won't want to be there anymore. And you'll, you'll make more mistakes and your attitude just goes right down the toilet. Now, you, you said in your second uh, uh, email, Zach, that you weren't having a bad day. You weren't getting upset the particular day you were talking about. And that's good. Hopefully, you continue to keep that, uh, keep a positive attitude about it. Uh, so I guess this is more for everybody else listening. Uh, don't disrespect this player and walk off the court and say, oh, you know, he didn't really beat me. Well, yeah, he did. He hit more balls in the court than you did. You missed. And you don't deserve to win. <laughs> A lot of you guys out there need need to hear me say that, and you need to accept it. Seriously. Don't walk off the court after playing a pusher and say, well, he didn't beat me. I beat myself. Well, guess what? That means that you didn't deserve to beat that player. You didn't have the game. You didn't have the skills to be able to consistently attack. And so you lost. You got beat. Whether you're the one that made the mistakes or whether your opponent made you make a mistake is irrelevant. At the end of the day, your score was less than your opponent's. So stop disrespecting this type of player. And again, this is not necessarily directed towards you, Zach, but my listeners in general, you guys need to start respecting these types of players a little more. Even though they, even though they might not have a pretty game to watch, they, they get the job done. So give them some respect, please. Now, let's talk about actually improving your game, Zach. This is what you need to do to actually start beating these types of players. Um, first of all, and you know this goes without saying, but I'm going to talk about how to do it specifically. You need to learn how to create pace on your ground strokes reliably. And you're going to do that in three main ways. Number one, you need a solid rotation of your core, of your body. Your, your chest and your tor- torso need to rotate back and then around again as you make contact with the ball at least 90 degrees. On your forehand ground stroke, you need to turn to face to the right, perpendicular to the baseline, and then at least turn forwards as you make contact to be facing forwards towards the net so that your shoulders are parallel to the baseline at the very least. Turning a little bit past that would even be better. And same thing on your backhand side if you have a two-handed backhand. If you have a one-handed backhand, you don't want to make uh, quite as much of a turn. Uh, well, I, I take that back. You, you will still rotate your core, uh, but it's, it's a little bit different. You'll, you'll turn a little bit farther than 90 degrees initially so that your back is facing towards the net a little bit. Um, but more work is done by your dominant shoulder. You, you should still rotate forwards. But anyway, in general, you need a good rotation of your core on both your forehand and backhand side. That's number one. Uh, technique-wise. Number two, you need a long and confident racket path. Most players who struggle against a pusher can't generate pace reliably because they have a relatively short swing, and they're accelerating the racket quickly, but they have a hard time controlling where it's going because they accelerate the racket really fast over a relatively short racket path. You should be, you should be making a long and relaxed swing at the ball and generating pace more with the rotation of your body than the actual acceleration of your arm 
and shoulder, and forearm, and hand, and wrist. Um, you should be letting everything from your shoulder down be pretty relaxed. Uh, obviously, we want to accelerate the racket with that part of your body, but really we should be using your core more than from your shoulder down so we can be a little bit more reliable in how the racket is accelerated forwards. And lastly, number three, I strongly suggest that you learn how to create at least a little bit of topspin to create some margin for error. You should be able to clear the net by two, three feet, hit a solid shot, not necessarily super aggressive, but but definitely a challenging shot, and be able to do it over and over again at that same height, at that same pace, and be able to hit a, a good solid shot without overdoing it and getting all crazy. And you need to repeat this a million times both forehands and backhands, and learn how to create, uh, again, repeat a strong rotation with your body, a long and relaxed swing with your arm and with your racket, and good margin for error over the top of the net, and be able to do it over and over and over again. And you have to practice until you can do this. There is no substitute for solid, fundamental technique. And if you're unable to do this now, well, I'm going to rephrase that, Zach. You're unable to do this now. All right. You, you described it uh, in your question to me. Uh, and especially in the second email that you wrote to me, uh, you were describing how every time you try to put pace on the ball, you either hit the net or it goes long. And that tells me that you have no curve to your shot. There is no arc in the path of the ball. You're hitting it dead straight. You don't have the margin for error that you need built into your shot. So you need to start adding a little bit of topspin, making a little bit more of a vertical swing towards the ball instead of just hitting straight through it and trying to power the ball through the courts. You need some more margin for error. And that's only going to happen by improving your swing technique. There's no magical fix here. You need to improve your technique so that you can create more reliable results and still be able to hit a solid shot. Um, Without doing that, you really only have two options to try to beat this player. Number one, you can try to out-push or out-junk ball this guy, but I don't want you to do that. I, I want you to move past this level where you're struggling against this type of player. I want you to improve your technique so that when you see a pusher, you look forward to it because he's sitting up on a silver platter, easy ball after easy ball, and you should be able to dominate this type of player eventually. I'm not saying next week, just because you listen to this podcast, you're going to be able to go and crush this guy. It's going to take some practice. But I do want you to be able to beat him without resorting to just playing his style of tennis, which quite honestly is probably exactly what he'd like to see. He'd love to see you step out onto the court and try to beat him at his own game because that's exactly what he's probably comfortable with. He'd love to push the ball all day long. Um, So without improving your technique, that's option number one. Or you can just keep trying to attack uh, with inferior technique, hitting the ball the way you are right now, and essentially just hope that you have a good day and everything kind of clicks for you that day and everything goes into the court even though you're hitting the ball the exact same way with, with low margin for error. And you're going to have some good days out there, and, and that's great, but I don't want you to be satisfied with using a low percentage ground stroke on both sides, you, you said especially your forehand, and just waiting until everything clicks one day, and you do awesome that day, and, and, and that's great, but I want you to be able to be more reliable in how you attack. Uh, Just one more thing, Zach. I also want you to work on your positioning. You need to work on moving yourself to the right place so that you can hit a confident shot. 
Um, and the reason why I say this is because you described uh, playing a 5-5 or a 6-0 player and being more comfortable. Now, I, I got to be honest with you, Zach. Uh, if, if, if that's the case, uh, well, you're probably not actually playing a 5-5 or 6-0 level guy, not, not, not legitimately. If you, actually, if you feel more comfortable against them than hitting against a 3-5, 65-year-old guy, um, I just got to be, I just got to be real with you here. It's probably not actually a five, five level player, but regardless, let, let's just say it's a strong four or five player and they hit with more pace and more topspin. If you're more comfortable with, against that type of ball, uh, because it's got more pace, so you don't have to create your own. And the, you said the ball is kicking up more so that it's going into your strike zone. Well, to be honest with you, it should be much easier for you to put yourself in a comfortable place against this weak spinless uh, ball down the middle. You said he doesn't hit angles. It sounds like he just hits a weak ball right down the middle of the court with no spin on it. Uh, and because it's not traveling very fast and it's got no spin, the ball is going to bounce up and sit in your strike zone where it's easy for you to hit much longer than against somebody who hits the ball hard and with a lot of top spin. Um, and so the fact that you tell me that you're having a harder time against this guy than against of somebody who hits a strong, solid, topspin-type ground stroke tells me that your footwork is definitely lacking. And you need to be able to identify and read that weak shot coming down the middle of the court. You need to react quickly and get there so that you can hit the ball in a comfortable place and so that you can hit it confidently with that good, solid technique that you've been practicing. So... Zach, that's, that's pretty much it, man. Um, first of all, again, re- respect this type of player. Secondly, um, you've got to improve your technique, and that uh, includes rotation of your body, length of your swing, adding some topspin so that you have some margin for error. Um, th- that all has to happen. And then work on your positioning as well so that you can get yourself to a comfortable place where you can recreate those solid swings over and over again. But, Zach, best of luck to you. I, I hope you start doing better against this guy. And if I can help you any further, uh, definitely let me know. Before we get to our next question, I want to remind you guys about the official sponsor of the Essential Tennis Podcast, and that is Championship Tennis Tours. You guys can find them at tennistours.com. And they put together travel packages and ticket packages and even just individual tickets to all kinds of different professional tennis tournaments. An example of that would be a couple of upcoming events in the U.S. Open uh, series leading up to the U.S. Open. Uh, An example of that would be the Leg Mason tournament in Washington, D.C. I I live in Maryland. I I work near D.C., and I plan on attending that that tournament probably a couple of days or nights. So go check out their, their ticket packages for the Leg Mason. And if you use the promotional code ESSENTIAL, you'll get a discount off a purchase of any ticket or package of valued at $175 or more. So you guys will get a discount uh, off your purchase. Plus, it, it just shows them that you appreciate their support of the Essential Tennis Podcast. That, that helps them stay on as a sponsor, which definitely helps me out. So help uh, help them, and they'll keep helping me. <laughs> And uh, I, I would appreciate that very much if you guys just check them out and, uh, and see what they have to offer. Again, that's TennisTours.com, and you're going to want to use the promotional code ESSENTIAL. All right, next up we've got a question from James. 
He wrote to me and said, Hi, Ian. I wondered whether you would consider doing a podcast specifically about how to deal with short balls correctly. By short balls, I don't mean the easy type that bounce high, but the difficult low ones that are played deliberately to draw an opponent into the net. Yesterday, I played against somebody who plays a lot of squash and who basically tried to slice almost everything short, draw me into the net, and then lob me. This player simply did not seem to have any topspin ground strokes, but had very good placements and consistency, especially using a slice backhand. Many of these short, low balls were very effective. I was completely unable to play my normal game, but fortunately came through 6-3. However, I am still very uncertain about where to hit these short balls. Assuming my opponent is staying on the baseline, is it best to play them deep, short, or angle them? Also, is there a way of deciding whether it is best to continue to the net or sprint back to the baseline after hitting these balls? This type of shot also seems to occur quite often against more regular opponents, so I feel it would be a really good area in which to improve my tactical play. Thanks, as always, for any help that you can offer, James. Sure, James. Uh, I'm going to try to get through this quickly here since we're uh, running out of time. I'm probably going to go over time today. Hopefully, that'll make up for uh, having a little bit shorter of a show uh, last week. Now, you basically have three choices when dealing with a short, low ball, like what you're describing, James. And I'm definitely keeping in mind here that this is a shot that's kind of difficult to get to. It's definitely dropping. We're not... T- uh, meeting this ball at waist height or shoulder height and able to really attack on it, uh, but rather it's, it's definitely dropping kind of towards the bottom uh, end of our strike zone. So you've got three choices. Number one, you can play a slice deep down the line. And I, I'm going to list the pros and cons of each of our three main options here. And um, most of my options are going to ha- are going to Uh, have to do with hitting the ball down the line. If you guys don't know why it's smarter to hit down the line in an approach situation, uh, definitely go to the video section of EssentialTennis.com. And I have a video uh, showing you guys why it's smarter to go down the line on an approach shot. Uh, but I, I'm just going to just mention right now, it's usually smarter to go down the line. It's not always. There's some situations where cross court is a good play, but in general, down the line is a little bit better, better shot to play. So uh, option number one, play a slice deep down the line. The pros of doing this, the, the uh, benefits are if hit well, it can stay nice and low, making a passing shot or lob difficult. If you guys are able to hit a nice kind of biting slice that stays low over the nets and low to the ground, this can be a really good play uh, to, to use that slice. And uh, taking, taking that low shot and putting backspin on it kind of makes it easier to guide deep into the court and, uh, and place it easily down the line. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here. That's pro number one. Pro number two, it's easy to aim and direct. In general, uh, that slice shot is just really direct technique-wise. You're lining your strings up and hitting straight through the ball towards your target. It's a much simpler shot than trying to hit a drive or topspin. And number three, it's relatively high percentage for most people. Most people have a pretty easy time uh, playing the slice. Um, now, if that's not you, if you're not good at putting backspin on the ball and directing it accurately, then I suggest that you work on this, James, because it can really help out on a low shot where you're being pulled into the net. Now, the cons of playing a deep slice down the line are, number one, 
if you don't hit it well, that backspin can cause the ball to kind of check up and sit there and become a kind of a sitting easy shot for your opponent back on the baseline. So this is a shot that you need to practice. If you can't keep it low already, if your slice shots tend to kind of float up into the air and kind of slow and and just kind of sit there, then you're going to want to work on it. I'm not going to go over the the technique now, uh, but you want to try to play a kind of a biting lower slice. So that's con number one. If you don't hit it well, it's just going to kind of sit there. Number two, a slice in general travels more slowly than a drive slash topspin shot. Now, again, I said generally. Uh, It's not necessarily true all the time, but it's definitely easier to hit the ball harder and more aggressively when putting topspin on it. And I realize that this is a low ball, so it's, it's most people don't have that shot. Uh, we're we're going to get to that a little bit later. So slice is, is a great option for this shot. But uh, one of the cons is that it's not going to travel through the courts as fast. It's not going to be as aggressive of a shot as if you were able to drive it or, or hit a topspin shot. All right, uh, option number two, hit a drive slash topspin shot deep down the line. And the, the pro here, the benefit, is that you can hit it with more pace and more aggressiveness than a slice and still be able to keep it in play. Slice uh, backspin uh, causes the ball to float and travel farther through, through the courts. A topspin shot pushes the ball back downwards into the courts. And so if you're able to get below it, even though it's a low shot, if you're able to get your racket below it and hit up on the ball aggressively enough to spin it, you can curve the ball back down into the court again. And that's going to allow you to hit with more pace and be able to kind of hit right through the courts and pressure your opponents a little bit more than with a slice. However, there's several cons to hitting with a drive slash topspin type shot. Number one, if you don't really play it well, uh, the, the ball doesn't get hit through the court. The, the, the topspin, if you, if you spin it quite a bit and hit kind of a heavier ball and you don't hit it solidly, that, that topspin can also cause the ball to kind of bounce up right into the strike zone of your opponents, which can give them an easy ball to hit, hit a passing shot or a lob on. Secondly, and I mentioned this before, it's definitely technically more complicated and more difficult to make. And I, in my opinion, it definitely takes more skill to take that low ball, hit it with topspin and make it than it does to use the slice. The slice is definitely a simpler shot to make. And thirdly, it definitely takes more confidence to hit. Because it's a more complicated swing and because it's a more aggressive swing, you have to really feel confident about going for it Otherwise, you're going to dump it into the nets or not put a lot of spin on it and make it float long. So it's, it definitely takes more confidence than just hitting that slice and directing it deep into the courts. All right, and uh, option number three, uh, option number one was slice deep down the line. Option number two was hit a drive slash topspin shot deep down the line. Option number three is hit a short ball right back. Just drop shot him. As you're running into the net, and this takes definitely takes some touch. And I'll go over the the pros and cons. Pros: it can be thrown in as a change of pace slash surprise play. You can mix this in along with some deeper approach shots and catch catch this guy off guard and give him a taste of his own medicine. Number two: um, if you do hit it well, it makes passing shots and lobs more difficult as he runs forwards into the court. 
he's got less room to hit around you because he's getting closer to you and there's less room, there's, there's less visibility around you because you're taking up more of the court from his vantage point as he gets closer and closer to the net to recover your drop shot. So those are the two main con, uh, pros. Con is that if you don't hit it well, you're just a sitting duck. <laughs> if you try to hit it short and you just kind of pop it up and it's not very short and it just sits up there in the air, obviously, and unless he just has no ability to hit the ball aggressively and hit it past you, you're just going to be sitting there in, in, in an easy target. Uh, so that's definitely the con of trying to hit short right back. So um, which one of these three options is best? Well, uh, when trying to select which one is the best play, you have to know two things. You have to know your opponent, and you have to know what they're good at, whether their, their forehand or backhand side is stronger, whether they're better at passing shots or better at lobs, whether they prefer to hit lower in their strike zone or higher in their strike zone, um, how mobile they are, if they can run and hustle and get to a short drop shot. You need to know all these things, and you have to take them into account. And really, very often, you want to mix these options up to keep your opponent off balance and make them have to hit a lot of different types of shots in order to beat you. Number two, you have to know your strengths and weaknesses. So you know, walking onto the court that day, you've got to know, do you prefer to hit a slice or prefer to hit a drive or topspin shot? Do you have good hands where you can take that short ball and hit it really short right back and make him have to run, uh, run into the net himself? You've got to know your own game and you have to know his game, and then you got to kind of mix those together and come up with a game plan, come up with a good, solid, tactical plan for that day. And again, lastly, I'm, I'm going to mention one more time that you, have, you should be practicing all three of these options, James, so that based on what opponent you uh, come up against, whether it be this squash player guy or somebody else who gives you a lot of short shots, uh, practice all three of these options so that when you figure out uh, what play is going to be the best suited for that day against that opponent, you can do it confidently and use whichever of these three main options makes the most sense. So James, hopefully that's helpful to you. Thanks very much for your great question. Good luck with this. Uh, let me know how you do. That does it for episode number 128 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Once again, thank you very much for spending some time with me. Thank you for listening to the show. I really, truly ho hope that it's been a help to you. I, I hope that it's been informative and instructional, and I hope you're able to take these suggestions, go and use them on the courts, and improve your own own game. Uh, and if it does help, if it does help you, I'd, I'd always love to hear back from you. Let, let me know what's been helpful to you, maybe what hasn't been helpful, any suggestions that you might have for the show. You guys can always feel free to contact me at ian, I-A-N, at essentialtennis.com. All right, that does it for this week. I will talk to you guys again next Monday. Until then, take care and good luck with your tennis. <laughs>